Hey, welcome back to Let's Talk About It with Jackie and Megan. Where we like to talk about things that are messy, awkward, hard, or controversial and create a space for healing. Hey everyone, we're really excited today to be interviewing Rachel Kalaki. Um, she is the founder and executive director of Magdala Ministries, a space where women can find hope, healing, and freedom alongside each other from sexual addiction. After beginning to share her testimony in college, Rachel has had the privilege of hearing dozens of beautiful stories of healing from sexual addiction and is pursuing certification in sexual addiction therapy. Aside from Magdala, she has worked in diocesan ministry and the pro-life movement. Now, this is such a great discussion, and I can't wait for you guys to hear it. We're really excited to have you on. And um, yeah, I wanted to have you on the podcast because first of all, I don't feel like there's a lot of people that talk about you know, women struggling with sexual addiction and pornography and masturbation, um, which you even note um, when I was reading about Magdala on the website, just that it's like a men's issue and that's how it's always mm-hmm. portrayed. And yeah. um, I don't know what, like, as I was, you know, growing up, I feel like no one ever talked about women struggling. I have a very distinct memory of us doing like the examination. So I I grew up Catholic school my entire life, including college. And Mm -hmm. we were doing like an examination of conscious together, like before we had confession at our junior high or whatever. And this girl was like masturbation. She's like, isn't that just a thing that like men do Mm -hmm. Um, very loudly in front of the whole group? And I was just like, oh, like, yeah, just a very early memory of that being something said. Mm -hmm. So very clearly that's yeah um but before we jump into that just for our listeners that don't know who you are which many of them might already um but can you tell us a little bit about yourself just like where you're from where you went to school I don't know whatever you feel like sharing (laughs) sure it's all you know the elevator bio like when you're in class yeah yeah Yeah. your name and your major and something interesting about one fun fact yeah Yeah, like I I actually have nothing fun about me no um (laughs) I uh am from Colorado originally that's where I was raised um raised in a devout Catholic family I'm one of six kids um I love my family I have amazing parents who both converted to the faith so I was raised with kind of that convert zeal, which is awesome. Um, I went to Ave Maria University in uh, Florida. So just outside of Naples, I majored in theology there. uh, And then I stayed on and got my master's in theology as well following college. And then I moved to Nashville where my husband was. So um, we got married in 2021. I worked for the Diocese of Nashville for a little while. And then we actually recently moved to Tampa, Florida, where um, we had our daughter. So I'm a mom, which is amazing. And um, yeah, had my first baby last September and just, I'm so excited and obsessed with her. But um, I guess formally speaking, I am uh, Magdala Ministries Executive Director and Founder. So I've been in charge of Magdala for two years now, um, or I'm coming up on two years. And uh, yeah, it's been the deepest well of joy in my life um, work-wise and yeah, haven't looked back since. That's awesome. Megan just had a baby this year. <laughs> you could oh, really? <laughs> oh, wait, what day? August 31st. Okay, yeah. So you were five days before me. I'm September 4th. So yeah, okay, yeah. yeah we laughed. Actually, it was barely an August baby. It was like August 31st in the evening. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm she's my daughter is five months old today. So I like, oh. yeah, just feeling super emotional. I'm like, how does it go by this fast? You know, it's crazy. It's crazy. Oh, that's so sweet. 
That's oh, yeah, I love it's funny. We actually have a former coworker who went to Ave Maria, so I'm like somewhat familiar yeah. with them. Oh, really? Yeah. It's a it's a it's a good school. I love it. Um it's small, so you like know everyone or know of everyone and everybody knows your business, but it's it's a wonderful <laughs> place. I loved it. I I went to Franciscan University. Um and I always feel like those are the two schools that I know a lot of people that have gone to that are really want to go to a super Catholic school, um, mm-hmm. which is not why I, I went there originally, because I, I'm from Steubenville. So that's just how we're at. Whoa. Up. But yeah, <laughs> uh, which I know people are always like, oh, my gosh, you're from there. Yeah. Um, yeah, my aunt's a professor at Franciscan. So yeah, I've just grown up at the university, um, which now all of these Catholic people like Matt Frad and like big speakers are moving there. And it's so funny because I'm like, I'm good. I'm just gonna. <laughs> yeah. <in> Chicago. <laughs> oh my like, god, Ew, that's my hometown. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Don't <yeah>. go there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's just funny. Um, but yeah, well, that's. Um, I lost my train of thought, but uh, yeah, so I. I guess I discovered you on Matt Frad's channel, but I think I had heard of Magdala Ministries um, through some other people that were using the resources and such, but I just thought it was such an awesome ministry because like I said before, I don't see like many people talking about this. Um, And you share very openly about your own struggle with sexual addiction. Um, So as much Mm -hmm. as you're comfortable sharing, if you could just tell us a little bit about your own journey with that. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of an open book at this point. Um, so it's like, what am I not comfortable sharing? I don't know. Um, yeah, so I was exposed to porn when I was 13. Um, I was actually on Pinterest and it was erotica. So it was written pornography. Um, and I had kind of had some uh, unwanted experiences as a child that had left me feeling really awkward and uncomfortable in my own sexuality. So I was just very confused about bodiliness even. Um, And yeah, just, I I think porn fit perfectly into that framework. I had an amazing therapist who later just spoke so compassionately to that part of my life and helped me heal a lot of that or receive healing in that part of my life. And she just said like, yeah, you were set up perfectly for porn to be your answer to your discomfort. Um, And I think that's the case for a lot of women and men now is that porn is posed as an answer to a wound or a trauma that we have, Um, whether major or minor, my traumas were minor, but porn still posed itself to me as an answer. Um, So yeah, I knew it was wrong. Um, my parents raised me with a really, you know, wonderful, virtuous code. So I knew it was wrong, but I did think that it was something that only men struggled with. And I also justified reading it and continuing to read it and then watching it eventually. Um, just with like, I I guess the line I would tell myself often was something like, well, I know not to do what they're doing in real life. So it's okay. You know, like I, I know like I, it felt kind of phantasmal in the sense of like, being dissociated from my everyday life. So I could keep going um, with those excuses. But uh, my senior year of high school, I started trying to get some distance between me and my consumption. So I got a flip phone. I got rid of my smartphone and that definitely helped. It gave me like a little bit of breathing room, but I did not really formally enter recovery until I was at college. So it was my first year of college in the fall semester. I went to this, um, healing retreat, this like night of adoration. Um, and I, I share this in most of my testimonies, but I, I went, um, 
And I had been thinking about C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce. You know, there's like a passage in The Great Divorce with a red lizard on a man's shoulders and it's preventing him from entering heaven. And there's an angel asking to kill it. And for Lewis, the, the lizard does represent lust. And um, I just was really drawn in by that passage. I had read it a few years before. Um, and I was thinking about it as I was walking to this adoration night at this healing retreat. And there was a Q&A going on. I walked in late. There was a Q&A going on. And I don't remember what question was asked. But immediately after I walked in, the microphone was passed to somebody to answer the question on this panel. And he said, there's a chapter in C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce about a man with a red lizard. And I was like, okay, uh, I I think I need to finally get rid of this red lizard. And it was just a super powerful adoration experience. Like the Lord really just dug in and was like, do you want to be done with this? Do you actually want to give this up? And I was so exhausted by myself. And at that point, um, a really wonderful, kind man was pursuing a relationship with me and I just felt so undeserving of him um, that that was part of my motivation too, was like, I, I want to be the kind of woman who can enter into this relationship purely and, um, and not be just marred by this duplicitousness that I feel all the time. Um, so yeah, it wasn't a perfect journey after that. I still endured some relapses and whatnot. Um, but I entered, you know, a longer period of sobriety that, that first year of college. And then, it just got uh, easier and easier from there. So yeah, I'm super grateful for that prayer experience, but I also kind of want to emphasize that it was not the end because I think we can think that we can pray these things away, but the Lord definitely broke an attachment that I had to porn that night for sure. Yeah. See, thank you so much for sharing, first yeah. of all, because yeah. I think it's incredible that you're so vulnerable and open about it because there's a lot of shame that can come along with like acknowledging yeah. and admitting that part of your story. Um, and I think it's interesting too, that it kind of started with like the written side of things, because a lot of Mm. times I think women do struggle with the written pornography. Um, and that's something even Mm. in my own experience as a teenager that I struggled with and Mm. it's almost easy to justify because you're like, well, I'm not like going like www.pornhub.com and like looking (laughs) at something. So it was like an easy way to kind of like you know, deal with that shame that I was feeling of like, well, you know, I can justify this where it's not as serious. Um, Do you see that as an issue with a lot of the women you interact with that they like maybe start with like written porn um, and then like that leads to other like visual as well? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, yeah, I think people get confused about like what pornography actually is and they like to count written pornography out but pornography is any like content that is designed to sexually arouse or entertain right so explicit content that is designed to arouse or entertain so that can be written audio visual um, and it can be found on places other than designated porn sites i never accessed a porn site if it's like if that clarifies anything like um and i know many women who also did not but I found it through other avenues and other websites. Um, yeah, written written porn is a huge gateway for women. Some women just stay there, um, but some women kind of progress into more visual content because it's easier to access, I'd say. But um, what's interesting is men don't necessarily struggle with written porn and not because men are solely visual and women are solely emotional. You know, like we like to make those generalizations. Yeah. But... Um, because there's a lot of studies done on 
women's imagination in their sexuality and its role. Yeah. And one of my favorite studies that I found, um, I, I not favorite in the sense of how it was conducted, but in the information it reveals, uh, is uh, two psychologists teamed up and studied a group of men and a group of women and showed them, um, yeah, visually stimulating sexual content. So they showed them porn and they uh, had them evaluate their responses. And the men evaluated their level of arousal based on their attraction to people in the video, whether men or women. And women attributed their arousal to their ability to imagine themselves as someone in the video. So this whole like men are visual, women are purely written or emotional. They just like romance novels, like that whole thing. Um, it actually just totally falls apart. It's not about that. Like men are visual, women are not. It's about women have this interplay between their imagination and their sexuality that isn't necessarily the case for most men. So men and women consume the same content, but for very different reasons and with very different kind of modes, I guess, of approach. But um, I think written porn, why it is so intriguing for women is because it very much engages that imagination aspect that women tend to use. Yeah. Super interesting. I, it, that's that's really interesting. I never heard of that study, but mm-hmm. I like that you mentioned that there is this stereotype that, oh, women are not visual like men are. And I've always found that so false in my own experience I'm like what are you talking about like I oh yeah yeah I think you know Megan and I we've talked about our own like you know different struggles and um I also I've never like accessed a porn site but there's so much out there that can be Mm -hmm. triggering or that can draw you in um just like on Netflix these shows now that you don't expect like right in front of you it's just a full-blown sex scene you're like oh my gosh but that you know Mm -hmm. can be a gateway as well and Mm -hmm. you don't realize that that's also can be pornography even though it's not I'm not typing into a porn site and looking up a porn video but that also is porn (laughs) um and can be a huge struggle and something that like oh now you have that in your mind and you know where you can find this kind of content and it's just on Netflix um yeah absolutely and there's nothing necessarily like wrong or with you if you are intrigued by that or aroused mm-hmm. by that as a woman you know that's not like oh I'm just super visual and no other women are it's like no that's <laughs> that's how the human mind works if you're a man or a woman um yeah but that's yeah that's a really um interesting study so you kind of talked about it um but a little bit about your own healing journey you mentioned that you had that you know that one experience but how did that look for you moving forward um finding freedom from sexual addiction yeah I I have a really interesting kind of path I guess um a little bit boring but um I don't recommend the way I recovered to people just (laughs) just because I got so much wrong I continued to hide my story and not seek accountability um for a little while I you know didn't put a ton in place to help me with my triggers for a little while you know i Um, But it was this progression of, okay, let me, you know, cut that off. Let me cut that off. Let me cut that off. It was like the whole, you know, if your left arm leads you to sin, you know, cut it off. Um, I had to cut off a lot of limbs slowly over time. So um, I ended up getting rid of social media kind of as, again, just to get some space between me and what I was accessing because um, I could regularly access porn kind of through uh, Snapchat in particular was a huge one. Um, and that's the case for a lot of women. Instagram is one of the biggest funnels for them, which is sad. They can bypass a lot of, um, 
kind of accountability or filtering software that they have on their devices through social media. Um, so I ended up getting rid of social media and then I slowly started sharing my story with women around me. Um, I did not admit it to the guy I was dating at the time. Um, and I really regret that, but I did end up telling him, uh, later after the fact after we had broken up and we're kind of uh becoming friends again I guess we were on the same ministry team so he saw me give like my first kind of little testimony and we talked about it afterward um but it was honestly in starting to publicly share my story that I really grasped recovery and like made it my own um I don't recommend that <laughs> for everyone I think it was uh I would have loved to be more sure before I started sharing my story, but God does things the way he does them for a reason. Um, so yeah, there were definitely, there are a few relapses in there in my memory, but yeah, I, I had to start really, there's the base, there's the base things that are easy to get rid of. Like, okay, I need to get rid of social media or I'm triggered by this. I need to get rid of that. I need to stop watching that show. I need to do this. But it was when I really dug into even more of like, okay, I need to stop listening to that kind of music because those lyrics are really triggering for me. I need to stop letting myself become so stressed because stress is a trigger. I need to stop like digging into my deeper emotional state and circumstances and my mental health is when um, things really became like full swing too. But um, there was also like a phase, even after I graduated college where I was, I had been sober for a couple of years at that point, um, or a few years, I guess. And, but I was still feeling so caged up and awkward and uncomfortable in my sexuality and just like really anxious still. Um, and I had to go and really dig in with a therapist and kind of get to the bottom of the wounds that had led me to porn in the first place. So, um, yeah, I mean, my journey kind of went in phases. I think that's, I think that part is pretty normal for recovery journey, but, um, yeah, I think once people came into my life who could really keep me accountable and again, like I I dug into those deeper layers is when I really saw things kind of turn around and change. I love that you mentioned that it's more than just like, oh, well, if I get rid of the internet, then it's not going to be a problem anymore mm -hmm. um, and kind of digging to that deeper root reason because um, I feel like that's not talked about often is that mm -hmm especially for women. I know women that I've spoken with, even in my own experience, you know, we have that, like you were saying, like the imaginative side of our sexuality. And so yeah. a lot of times it's, we're looking to fill some sort of void. And I've even spoken with yeah. a lot of women that this like good desire that they had for romance and for a partner mm -hmm. and for love, um, sort of porn came in as a way to f try and fill that void and you know it's like a hole that they're trying to fill like oh i have this desire that's a good desire and then porn comes in as a way to unhealthy um meet, try and meet that desire um so i think it's something yeah. that a lot of women can relate to but what would you say would be the difference between someone maybe struggling just struggling with sexual sin in their life versus someone who would more be categorized as having an addiction to it yeah, that's a great question. Um, first, I think I think we can misuse the word struggle um, a lot in Christian spheres. I didn't know this, but Matt Fradd actually was the one who told me that struggle means to violently resist. So I love that definition of the word struggle. It's like you're violently, if you're struggling with something, you are violently resisting it. Um, so I think a lot of us in our sexual sin don't even struggle. <laughs> we don't resist. Um, 
we just mm. kind of give in and hope for the best. But um, yeah, so people ask me a lot, like how frequently did I consume porn? And I actually don't remember because I, I think people use frequency as the only hallmark of addiction. It can certainly be an alarming one, but um, it's actually not really typically a hallmark of addiction. Um, so there's a, a psychiatrist named Gerald May who wrote a book called Addiction and Grace. Uh, for it, it just gave a framework for what addiction can look like for the Christian because I think for a long time people saw addiction as a moral failure only and not um, like something that can take over your brain and take on a life of its own and you can feel powerless and out of control because you are. So he kind of was the first to really step in and say like, hey, listen, Christians can be addicted and it's not a moral failure. You can't pray yourself out of the human condition. Like this is um, this is a thing. So um, he talks about the hallmarks of addiction being uh, withdrawal. So if you give up the substance or behavior, you have uh, withdrawal symptoms from it, whether physical or mental. Um, you have a loss of willpower. So you can say, I'm going to quit, but I, you know, but then you actually can't follow through. Um, loss of attention where something can divert your attention and your focus from something important um, and or a desire for a substance or behavior can can divert your attention um, and then he, he gives a couple more but those are I'd say the most important ones to really think about um, I, I mean another one I guess is that is important is tolerance is you you build up a resistance or you know, a, a numbness to a substance or behavior over time, and you need more and more in order to get your desired effect. Mm -hmm. So seeing the presence of those in my life or what told me, okay, this is a problem. I, I'm addicted. Um, and I would say that to anyone who, um, yeah, who's trying to evaluate where they are is like, are you losing your attention? <laughs> are you losing your ability to be present? Are you losing your willpower? If that's the case, then, uh, there might be the, the presence of an addiction here, but I also wouldn't spend too much time evaluating whether or not that's the case, because the fact of the matter is like, this can destroy your life, whether it's only a little present or very, very present, this can destroy your life and your relationships. So if you have it present at all, get rid of it. And yeah. there is inherently a difference between like, okay, I've, I have fallen to porn or masturbation a couple times in my life versus it's a, it's a more consistent temptation for me. But if it is consistent in any shape or form, whether that is a few times a year or monthly or daily, it, it's time to do something to get rid of it. And even if you've only fallen a few times, there's a trauma from that. We traumatize ourselves when we engage in unwanted sexual behavior. We create, you know, um, even if it's just small pieces, we create small pieces of a really negative frame, you know, at which we, we kind of look at our lives through. So I encourage you, whatever listeners, like whatever, uh, level you're struggling with to, yeah, to get help. Um, cause it can, it can become quite the beast, whether it is or not already. I agree. Uh, I do think, you know, maybe it's, it can be important. I, I, when I thought, I thought of that, you know, that question, um, cause I was interested in what you had to say about that. Um, just hearing you talk about it now, it's like, it kind of doesn't matter, you know, whether it's a full blown addiction or just a struggle, because in general mm -hmm. it is, you know, sin is harmful and, you know, harms our relationship with God, with others and ourselves. Um, so now, no matter what level, you know, you're struggling with it, it's important to seek out, um, help and grace if you're Catholic in the sacrament of reconciliation and, 
just accountability. Um, I think a lot of people can make like the excuse if it's, if it is an addiction, then I'm not, which is true. You're not as morally culpable for it, but, um, you still should be seeking out probably like, I mean, the grace from confession, like even if it is an addiction, just going and talking about it there, even if maybe you are less culpable for it. Um, or if you're not Catholic, like still seeking out and talking to, um, a trusted spiritual advisor or some, you know, about it can be great. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's just a thought I had when you were talking about it, but I also, I love that you mentioned that, um, if it is, something that is a full-blown addiction you can't just kind of like white knuckle your way through it and just avoid the temptations like avoid well I'm going to get rid of this like there's something deeper going on inside of you um especially if it's something you've been struggling with from a young age because unfortunately so many people are exposed at a young age to pornography Mm -hmm. um or just if you were wounded at a very young age um, that led to your struggle with pornography. I know you mentioned your therapist said like you kind of went through some things that led to you, you know, having an addiction to this. Um, and I, yeah, I think sometimes we just see it as a purely a moral failure and I need to just avoid this and white knuckle my, my way through it instead of thinking like, no, there's like a wound I have that I need to address. And until I address this root wound, like I'm going to continue to struggle with sexual mm-hmm. addiction and sexual sin. And um, I saw that you guys are doing a, a book study on it, but I read the book um, Unwanted by Jay Stringer, yeah. which is such an incredible book. It was the first time like I read something that was saying like, actually, you know, like your struggles, they are a path to finding like the wounds that you have. And it can be a path to healing if you really look at mm. what you're struggling with, even the kind of pornography that you're struggling with. Um, yeah. If anyone's listening that hasn't read this book, I highly recommend it. Even if you don't specifically struggle with sexual addiction, you know, we all struggle with different like vices in our lives. Just talking about how um, that's just like a symptom of this like root wound that you may have. And when they did like studies, like even the kind of pornography that men and women watched, there was so many correlations with like directly with the kind of like way they were wounded when they were younger in their childhood. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought that was just such a, like a beautiful way of, like looking at, I, I guess, yeah, just looking at that and kind of attacking the addiction from the root and not just these symptoms that you're struggling with. Um, mm-hmm. And the kind of shame, like just the amount of healing that you need. It's not just, oh, I'm going to stop watching Netflix. I'm going to stop doing this. You talked about like, there's certain things you maybe, you definitely should cut out of your life, but you're going to continue to struggle unless you go to therapy or find, find some kind of deeper healing. And I think a lot of people don't realize that. I think it's just a sin they struggle with they need to cut off yeah and I I find that a lot um as women come into Magdala and my my baby is resisting going down for a nap my husband is trying so if you hear her I'm sorry um yeah I find that as women come into Magdala you know there's a determination when they come in like they're they're looking for the silver bullet they're looking for the thing that will finally eradicate this monster out of their life they're like I want to be done And they come in and we kind of do have to take their hands and very gently say like, okay, yes, we want to help you get rid of this, but we're also going to help you look into your own soul, which is a very hard, hard thing to do to confront yourself, but we're going to help you do it. Um, I'd say that's even more what our curriculum and our community is focused on in our small groups is that confrontation of this side of ourselves that we hate um, and that we don't understand and the wounded child in ourselves that never got the answers that she needed. And 
um, yeah, we, we really emphasize that because I think that helps women achieve a longer term sobriety, even if it's not immediate, like that work Mm -hmm. can be very triggering in itself to do. Um, it can help women maintain their healing for much longer and go way deeper than if they just like you're putting it the do the white knuckle approach that may get you sobriety for three to six months, maybe a year, but you will inevitably fall again because you're not actually answering your heart. You're not opening it up to what Jesus wants to say to you. So, um, yeah, so I, I totally agree. I think the, the white knuckle approach is never going to work. I think Jay Stringer in Unwanted, it just does such a beautiful job of immediately kind of setting the bar for like, if you want to heal, you have to look at yourself <laughs> and that sucks. But, um, but you're going to discover by the end how beautiful you actually are and how God made you. And um, yeah, that's a very long, difficult process, but it's one that's so worth it. So worth it. I also think the like the white knuckling approach in and of itself brings a lot of shame because like you were saying, like that loss of willpower, like for someone who has finally reached the point where they're like, I no longer like want this. Like I, you know, this is something like you were saying, like I hate about myself like this that you don't you almost don't even want to face to then turn around and just be like, okay, I'm going to like use all my willpower and stop. And when you inevitably stumble and you fall over and over and over again, that can just be so incredibly discouraging if that's your only approach. And I know from just talking with a lot of people too, um, it can be seen as like, I like I could never overcome this then like I'm trying as hard as I possibly can. And like, I can never overcome it. Um, And I, so I love, you know, this approach of like, let's look deeper. Like, let's actually, you know, allow Jesus to speak into us. Let's like, go, go back. Like, what is it that, you know, what harm was caused to us? What hurt or wound is there that needs to be addressed? And like you were saying, it's really long and really difficult work, but it's a work that is a lot more encouraging, I feel like, and like, Mm -hmm. reduces a lot of that shame. Um, yeah. What what encouragement do you give women who are kind of in the midst of this? I think, uh, I mean, the first thing that you have to say to women because of the narrative at this point is just like looking them directly in the eye and saying like, you're not alone. Yeah. That's like the yeah. first thing is like, they have to, they have to believe they're not alone because they're not like one in three porn addicts are women. And I think it's something like now reported that like over 60% of women regularly consume pornography or engage in unwanted sexual behavior something like 78% of Christian women do um so I mean it's a massive percentage you are definitely not alone which is part of why I have no problem admitting this in, in a public space is because I know that most of the women I'm speaking to have some sort of experience with this whether it's prominent or not but um yeah you're not alone uh there's so much hope and also the what I've seen, not just in my own story, but just widely in the work that I've done, I've encountered the stories of hundreds of women at this point. We Magdala serves over a thousand women in like our small groups on our campuses um, and just through our content. So we're engaging a lot of women and I've had the, the privilege of hearing a lot of stories at this point. And I've seen over and over that like lust does not come for the apathetic, the lazy, the numb, um, like it, it doesn't come for those people. Like lust attacks the women who are the absolute warriors mm-hmm. for charity. I mean, it it's like, I, yeah, I, I literally 
see it every single time, like lust attacks, uh, it attacks the passionate, the ones who are bold, who desire to do something great for Jesus, who just want to love the gentle, who are nurturing and beautiful and want to mother everyone around them. Like that's who lust attacks because it knows it wants to take you out. So when I have a woman sitting in front of me admitting these things, I'm like, oh, you're going to become something so beautiful. And like, God has such huge plans for you if this is your struggle. Like that's, and if you take hold of that belief, that's, that's what brings you to the other side. You know, white knuckling control doesn't work. Hope does. Hope brings you through. So I think um, that's usually what I tell women is like the the very fact that you're even sitting here telling me this. um, Yeah. It's just, it's evidence that God really put this beautiful, passionate heart within you, a huge engine, and he's going to do something really powerful with it. So um, let's, let's go on a journey and see what that is. Let's get you there. So um, very simple, but that's usually what I say. And it's so far hasn't worked. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, that's beautiful because I feel like when pe- so many people encounter so much shaming from themselves mm-hmm. and from others, when they open up that they struggle with sexual addiction as men or women but especially women because as we've said and I don't think it can be said enough that it's just the narrative that it's only men that struggle with this and women feel so isolated and mm-hmm. um whether it be from their friends from themselves or even in the confessional I think there can be this just like reaction of disgust from people that maybe don't understand like when women might say that um mm-hmm which is sad because there's just so much stigma around women struggling. And I think there's just so much shame in that struggle, which is why so many women don't ever tell anybody and they continue to struggle for so, so long because, you know, anything shoved in the dark surrounded by shame, like we block out any way of healing. Um, Mm -hmm. And women condemn themselves. Like I'm just like broken in this way that nobody else is. And I'm so disgusting Mm -hmm. and I'm not worthy of, Jesus's love or of healing and um they try to just deal with it themselves and they're afraid to open up and mm-hmm. yeah we bring up we, we create these narratives about ourselves that we're just so disgusting disgusting and broken and there's no hope for us when really what you just said is yeah. so beautiful um and I just wish more women could hear that um <laughs> which is why I'm so thankful that there's an organization out there that women can go to and find that healing and that community within other women that have struggled. Um, and I wanted to, I wanted to read, I have it on my phone, just some, uh, something from the website of Magdala, uh, on the about Mm -hmm. section, and then talk a little bit more about your inspiration to start that. Um, Mm -hmm. and I just, I think this is so beautiful. Um, on your site, it says, we know that pornography, masturbation, and other sexual addictions aren't just a guy problem. The need for women to be accompanied in the journey towards healing from a sexual addiction has gone sorely unmet, and that's why we are here. Magdala exists as a space where women can find hope, healing, and freedom alongside each other from sexual addiction. Our goal is to supply you with support, community, and accountability. We don't want to we don't want you to reveal darkness, pain, and sin, and then leave you there. Honest conversation and solid theology are at the core of who we are. Um, and I do think that you have touched on this a lot, but can you talk a little bit more about your own discernment and journey of how you started Magdala, when you started that, um, like where you were in life when that, that came to you to start that? Yeah. It's like my villain origin story. I love it. Um, (laughs) 
Yeah. So hero origin story. Yeah. (laughs) Like, here we go. Um, Yeah. I started giving my testimony when I was at Aave uh, as a junior. I started hearing the the first time I ever shared my story was at a Young Life camp. I worked for Young Life for over a year. Um, Also, I want to say very quickly, like, I know uh, you guys regularly discuss differences between Catholicism and Protestantism, um, which is beautiful. Like, thank you for having that ecumenical dialogue. It's so important. Protestantism has us licked on openness to this as a Catholic church. I just want to say the most receptivity, the most encouragement, the most joy that I have encountered is, is with Protestants. Like when it comes to this topic, they have opened the doors for me in ways that um, the Catholic Church is still learning how to do. So I just think when you're wondering what can we do for women, look to our Protestant brothers and sisters because they have opened doors. And um, I don't think that's the case across the board, but just wanted to really give that plug um, that we can look to them as an example of how to actually like welcome women um, into a more sexual healing conversation. So that's been huge. And I've been really encouraged by that. Um, and I love being Catholic, but we definitely have, we have a lot to learn. Um, yeah. So anyway, I started sharing my story at Ave as a junior after being a young life leader, sharing my testimony at camp, um, for the first time after I was a sophomore, um, that summer between sophomore and junior year. And then junior year, I was sitting in my moral theo class and, just like very randomly felt the desire to start sharing my story a little bit more. Um, I was like, okay, Lord, if you think it's time, you know, I've, I've, I'm about a year sober. That makes some sense, I guess, but you'd, you'd have to like give me the opportunity because I'm not really going to put that out there. And then I literally walk out of that class and somebody comes up to me and says like, Hey, we're planning this women's retreat. And would you want to speak at it? Mm-hmm. And before I know what I'm saying, I just start saying, I was like, yeah, can I talk about porn addiction? Um, and there was no going back from there. And she was like, yeah, absolutely. Um, and it was a friend of mine planning the retreat. So she was super, uh, super excited about it, but I shared at that retreat and then word just kind of started spreading on campus. And so I spoke at more women's events, some local youth groups in the area. Um, but it was the end of junior year. I gave a talk at one women's event on campus and I was approached by like a dozen women after this talk. I can't remember how many exactly. And they would either like find me after the talk or in the days following, they would come up to me on campus when I was by myself and be like, can I talk to you? Can we go on a walk? Um, one woman even slipped a note under my dorm door, like sharing her story with me. Like that's how, how you know, in, in secret, these women were approaching me, um, just asking for help and, or just thanking me because they felt seen, um, which was beautiful. But I just really realized um, the need for support and community for these women. So I approached campus ministry about starting a support group. And then I let it fall of my senior year. I wrote the first edition of our curriculum because there was literally nothing out there for women when I looked it up. Like there was no resources that could you know, be used for a small group. So I wrote something um, like a nine or 10 sessions uh, curriculum for small groups and um promoted it and we started our first small group my senior year um my co-founder mary joe like came on so quickly and she was like anything i can do to help you like let me know um and she's on my magdala team now so we've been working together on this topic for about five years which is super joyful but that first small group was just like the sweetest thing it was so beautiful and just such a space of like honesty and healing and it was so healing for me as the leader because i was sharing my story um 
with other women in depth for the first time. Um, and yeah, it was, it was just beautiful, but I left the topic behind kind of to go to grad school. And then I started doing diocesan work. So it was about two years. Um, and then I went back to Ave for a different reason. And they asked me to give a talk then to the, the small group at the time. So it was new women. And, um, I had a different path in mind for myself at that point. It had been two years since I had really addressed the topic and, um, I gave a talk to them. And as I was walking away from the room, I turned back and saw them all. They, they stayed in the room to pray for a little while, turned back and saw them. And I was like, this is my heart. Like, I love this topic. What am I doing? Like, not, not trying to do something with this. And I had tried a couple of times, but like to talk to somebody about maybe just, you know, maybe rewriting the curriculum or, or doing something, you know, maybe a video series or whatever that we could offer to ministries, but nothing had ever come through. And then after that talk, I got back to my office a couple of weeks later and I was um, just like bored <laughs> on my lunch break. And I had met Matt Fred a couple of years prior when I was leading the small group at Ave and talked to him about, mm. about it. Um, and he gave me his contact info. So I just emailed him. I was like, you have no idea who I am or don't remember me, but this is how I got your info. And um, do you know of any women anywhere doing anything? Like, is there a blog? Are there retreats? Like, can I lend prayer or brain power to anything out there? And then he set up a call with me and just basically was like, there's nothing. And I think you should start something. If you do, I will support you. Um, and uh, this is, but this is a void in the church and we need someone to step forward. You, you have a week to decide, like get back to me in a week. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I, I just jumped off a cliff. Basically, I felt like I got blindfolded and pushed off a cliff and it was awesome. Um, I, I gathered a few women together, including Mary Jo and um, just some other women who had supported me like throughout uh, my journey of starting the small group at Ave and just, uh, yeah, we started with nothing. I made a website on Squarespace and was just like, what are we going to do exactly? Um, and yeah, we've grown a ton since I, yeah, like I said, we serve hundreds of women and we've updated our curriculum. We now um, print it and distribute it to our participants, which is huge. We were partnered with 10 college campuses to facilitate groups in person with them, um, produce a podcast. It, it just, it has really taken on a life of its own because the need was there. Um, so that's a, that's a very long explanation, but that's how it began. And it still kind of feels like we're blindfolded, you know, still falling from that cliff, but it's been such a joyful ride <laughs> that we don't really care. <laughs> so yeah. It's been awesome. I just want to thank well, you. That's amazing. So much. Yeah. Um, thank you. I, I remember as you were speaking, I remember the first time I ever heard a woman like publicly speak about her own struggle mm -hmm. with sexual addiction and it, it was shocking to me because I was just so used to you don't talk about this and if you do it's in a small group like at Franciscan I remember yeah. seeing signs around of it was so discreet so anonymous like if you struggle with this it's anonymous don't worry like no one's gonna know that you yeah. contacted us and I thought it was so awesome that there was a group there and like I never even got the courage you know because I've struggled with different things throughout my life to contact this group because there was just so much shame and I was just so embarrassed mm -hmm. um yeah and the first time, I think it was just at a, it was at a women's retreat that Franciscan put on every year. I forget what it's called. I'm blanking now is, I guess it's been too long since I graduated, but, um, uh, <laughs> I, I forget. It's like the beloved retreat. Anyway, it's a retreat every year that they do for just women at Franciscan. And I remember her just sharing her testimony and I was in shock. I was like, oh my gosh, like, 
Yeah. I cannot believe that you were talking about this right now, but it was the beginning of me being able to break down um, shame surrounding my own struggle and be able to just talk with like friends about it. I think Megan was one of the first people that we've shared openly with each other about things that we've struggled mm-hmm. with. And it was like even awkward for me then. I was like, oh my gosh, this is just so, I'm not used to talking about this. It's like nobody talks about yeah. this. We like skirt around it, but women, we don't talk about this. Um, And so I just, yeah, I just want to thank you so much for following that call of the Holy Spirit to mm-hmm. so openly talk about this. Cause it's not something that we should be so ashamed to talk about. Like, it's fine. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, if you're not ready to talk about it, you definitely shouldn't. Like, I do think there's a time for that um, oh, yeah. healing that you need to go through. Megan and I even talk about that. We often like have to go through our own healing because you don't want to necessarily speak from like this open wound, you know, always yeah. that there's some healing that you need to go through. But um, I just think that's so amazing because I think a lot of the steps to healing we've talked about is breaking down that stigma and shame mm-hmm. around the topic. Yeah. I agree. And I, I think, um, I was very scared sharing my story the first time I was like shaking in my boots, like crying the whole bit, like just trying to prepare. Mm -hmm. Um, but after the first time I I really haven't had too much of a problem since, but when I was starting Magdala, like one of the questions that I took to the Lord, like in adoration, um, the day after that call, and just being like, okay, I don't, I don't have much time to figure this out. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know what to do, but I was like, Lord, like I, this would mean that my story becomes like public, like really public. And I don't know if I want that. Yeah. Um, and I just heard very clearly, like, you're going to wonder for the rest of your life, what you could have done if you were willing to like mm-hmm. sacrifice that, like, you're going to wonder. Yeah. Um, and so I wasn't content sitting with that question. And I, I think that a lot of women, um, yeah, could really, could really, really make a change if they were willing to share their stories from that healed place, like you're talking about, but just like, you're going to wonder for the rest of your life, whose life you could have changed if you were just willing to let go of that need to, um, to seem perfect. Cause I, I've been so consumed so many times throughout my life by what people think of me that, uh, but I, I can't imagine what kind of what kind of things I've lost because of that, you know, that preoccupation. So um, I think the more women that join the chorus of like this, not just being a guy's issue, the better. And, you know, props to you guys for discussing this, like on a podcast. That's huge. Who knows like what listeners have been set free by that. So it's huge. Um, but yeah, I think, I don't know. I've I've been very comforted by like how many saints or, you know, even looking at the gospels, like how many of the apostles, like we know their greatest sins. Like we literally have Peter's (laughs) denial, like in writing, we reflect on it. We read it in church and this guy, like, you know, we've got his greatest sin right there in front of us. So who cares, you know, if, Mm -hmm. if people know that I was a porn addict before they even know anything else about me, honestly. Um, I I really, yeah, I've slowly over time, like, my pride has struggled to let that, that need to appear perfect go, but it's, it's been when I, when I do finally let a little bit go, it's been fruitful. Um, but yeah, that's a, that is a hard, that's a hard thing, um, is Mm -hmm. getting over our shame and embarrassment, but also just our desire to be seen as, Mm -hmm. uh, better than we are, you know? Yeah. I think also it is such a, like a secret sin too, you know, it's done. Mm -hmm. 
um, so privately and, and, and in the dark that I think that's why it's so incredibly beautiful that you've just followed the Holy Spirit's guiding in this and creating safe spaces for women to be open about this because I definitely think there's you know unsafe environments for someone to open up about this area of their life but creating like very like safe trusted places that are dedicated to their healing is such a like you were saying a needed thing that there isn't a lot of resources out there there aren't a lot of spaces and I think that in and of itself kind of stops a lot of women from even coming forward because they don't even know where to go (laughs) and it's such a a hard thing to even talk about that you're not just gonna you know go stand up in front of church and tell everybody and so Mm -hmm. where do you go and it can drive people back into isolation in the darkness so I think I think your ministry is, is so incredibly needed and I think it's it's proof of that that you've reached so many women that the Lord is blessing it thank you thank you yeah. And I, um, I've listened to a few of your podcast episodes, um, a, a while ago, I discovered your podcast and there was a podcast you talked about. Um, I forget what the book is, but you talked about how we need to face as a CS Lewis till, till we have, till we have faces, yes, till we have faces, till we have faces yeah. which I started reading, didn't finish. I need to read more CS Lewis. Cause I start all of his books besides like the Chronicles of Narnia when I read when I was <laughs> like seven, you know, um, uh, yeah, you talk about how we need to face the ugliness of our sin mm-hmm. of ourselves, um, but how that leads to deeper healing. So I, I we've kind of touched on this, but just ways that we can face like the like pornography and like struggling with mass, like those sins are terrible. You know, they're they are really yeah. um, ugly things. And pornography is terrible. Like it's it is disgusting and it's like ruining people's lives. But how do you kind of face your own brokenness? your struggle with these just like horrible sins, but then also recognize that, you know, that you've talked about your own, your beauty and your goodness and how to kind of combat that shame while also having that healthy guilt for the sins or things that you struggle with. Cause I know that I myself have struggled with that. Oh gosh. Same. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I like Brene Brown's summary of like, shame is I am bad. Guilt says I did something bad. That's a very simple way to put it, but I really, I really like that. It's like, if you're feeling that I am bad, that's shame. Um, yeah, I almost brought up this passage earlier from Talia Faces because that's like my favorite book. I love Talia Faces. Um, but it, I mean, the main character is a woman who's ugly and um, like physically ugly and reckons just with like a lot of suffering in her life. And the entire book is written as like a complaint against the gods for letting her be ugly and letting her life be ugly. Yeah. And when she finally gets to confront the gods and like say, this is... Um, you know, the, here's my complaint. Here's my whole life that you you just allowed to be totally messed up. And why do you hate me? Um, she finds she's just saying the same word over and over. Like she can't actually read out her confrontation as she wrote it. Um, and obviously this is a mythical story. So C.S. Lewis was monotheistic. But um, yeah, the, the passage, like the quote is like... Um, he says something like, I know now why the gods do not let us speak um, nor answer. And yeah, he, he basically is just saying like, as long as we just have words, words to be let out to battle against more words, like nothing will actually come of that. Um, and how can we speak to God face to face till we have faces is the the biggest like line there. Um, 
and this this main character is definitely like a, a metaphor for all of us but like that it's not until she finally just like there's there's like one thing that was in the center of her soul like yeah that's the quote is like until you confront the one, one word which has been at the center of your soul for years like yeah you're just going to be saying the same babble over and over and over and like why should the gods hear the babble that we think we mean and so oftentimes like in our healing in anything but in sexual healing in particular is like we are saying the same thing actually over and over and over and over um and but we try to put on this face that it's something different we try to be elaborate about it we try to be eloquent but it's actually just one thing and if you dig it up if you dig up that thing that's been at the center of your soul for years it may be horrendously ugly but you will be healed and you'll see God face to face finally, because it's not until you you dig that up and you're like, okay, actually, this is the complaint. This is the thing that I've been holding against you. This is the lie that I've believed instead of your truth, Lord, until you confront that. Yeah, you're just going to babble. <laughs> um, and I, I think I, I've gotten to watch women in that process. And I've had my own process of that, of like, that's what I think my, my um, therapy journey, I went, I, I had therapy before, but I, I was with a new therapist right after graduating college. And that's when I just really dug in to like, why do I feel so broken here? Why do I feel so irredeemable here? And I just had things to dig up. <laughs> I had complaints to dig up. I had lies to dig up that I had held since I was a child. And mm-hmm. just really like letting that come out and just being like, Lord, I hate this part of myself. I hate this. I feel so ugly here. I feel so irredeemably ugly here and I feel like you have ignored me and neglected me and left me alone to die here. Why? And just letting that come up. And then finally, only when that happens and I finally just let the mask drop and wore my face and that way before him, I could actually see his gaze of love on me. And that's where everything changes. Until you take the mask off, like he can't see you. I mean, he can, but you can't let his gaze pierce through, you know? So I think, um, I think that's the process is just like, we live in such a self-love culture that is so like dominated by like your own affirmation of yourself can be your healing and it just can't like speaking affirmations over yourself like doesn't do crap when you have like deep-seated addiction and self-hatred and woundedness right so like you have to you have to let that come to the light and you have to let only truth confront that your voice is not enough his is so i think that um that's such a necessary part of the process in my mind. And it happens slowly, happens over time. It doesn't happen all at once. There's been many one words that I've had to confront in my lifetime. I still have so much brokenness that I know God will confront in his time. But um, but yeah, there there wasn't there wasn't actual like turnaround in how I saw myself and my sexuality until I confronted that. Um yeah, I felt so awkward in the presence of men and in the presence of women. Like, I felt like I didn't belong with women, but I felt like I couldn't be with men in, like, a really pure way, so I just didn't try. Um, Yeah, and then going through that period of healing, I actually met my husband when I was in that therapy process, and that was the first man that I was in the presence of where I was like, I'm not questioning myself right now. Like, I know who I am. I know I'm good, and I know I'm worth this, and, like, I was able to, like, receive his pursuit in a totally different way so that was a very tangible fruit of healing but yeah that confrontation is the hardest part but once it happens everything changes I love that image of yeah confronting that that seed in you so that Mm -hmm. the Lord's gaze can pierce us 
I think that's so powerful, even just, you know, to envision the Lord's gaze, like piercing us and breaking through that shame. Yeah, absolutely. Have you ever heard of the podcast, uh, The Place We Find Ourselves? Yes. Okay. (laughs) I I knew you. I was like, I feel like she and I are like similar things we've read and um, oh yeah <laughs> this, this five-part series on healing oh my gosh it was just so beautiful for me and I, I talk about it all mm-hmm. the time but he he talked with this um this psychiatrist or counselor counselor I think her name is Kathy Lorizel and she talks about how healing is often like um, the passion of Christ how in order to bring about this healing he had to go through a certain death to finally yeah. reach the resurrection and how a lot of healing is like it's facing like that, that death, that ugliness, that just the worst, the parts that we're the most ashamed of, but letting God into those. And it's scary because you, you're like, okay, I'm going to let go. I'm going to, most people want to jump over like, you know, the death that the good Friday, the Saturday, they want to go and they want to hop right over. But it's like, no, it's like a U shape. You have to go down in to the death, Mm -hmm. just like Jesus did, like descending into hell. That's that, that's scary. And, but eventually the resurrection will come, like you will come back out, out of it. Um, and that's been a huge part of my healing journey in multiple areas. Um, but I think a lot, a lot of, you know, healing from this is just, it's okay. Like you can trust Jesus. You can let him into those, those places that are scary and it's, it is vulnerable. You're opening yourself up and you're facing that yourself, um, which Mm -hmm. we want to avoid because we're so scary. Like the pain, the emotions like that will come from that. Um, you're like, there's no way I'm going to come back from this. There's no way I'm going to be able to heal if I, if I let myself, you know, go that low, but it's like, no, Jesus will yeah. meet you there. And he's not afraid to meet you there. And he showed us that mm-hmm. on the cross that he's not afraid to like show himself and his brokenness and being battered. Um, because he wants that from us too. He wants to see our wounds. Yeah. He wants to be there with us and he's not afraid yeah. of it. Um, and he was that vulnerable with us and showed us that himself. Um, and the the resurrection will come from us, you know, and you can trust God that it will. Um, mm. And yeah, I just think that is just so, so beautiful. And that is a huge part of healing. So anyone listening, like, it's really scary. It is very vulnerable and you are letting go a lot of control. <laughs> um, but just allowing Jesus to come into those places and that, you know, mm-hmm. he will he will heal you. I don't know what timeline, but you know, the resurrection, it will come. Yeah. That was so well said. I just kind of just want to sit in that though. That was so well said. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Can't take any credit for that. (laughs) So yeah, yeah, that podcast, which we should link below. um, If anyone wants to. Yeah. Absolutely. Rachel, thank you so much for coming on and for sharing your story and for just sharing your work that you do. And yeah, we just want to reiterate again that we just are are so grateful for the ministry that you're doing, um, truly just being the Lord's hands and feet for these women. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for giving us your time and for yeah. talking with us about this because it's, yeah, like Jackie said earlier, it's something that isn't often spoken about in this way. And so I think a lot of healing can be brought about even just by starting these conversations. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. You guys are awesome. I really appreciate and, uh, it. Anyone listening that struggles, uh, we're going to, of course, um, leave the link to Rachel's ministry, Magdala, um, and also just Megan and I. If you know, if you ever want to reach out to someone that you know or that you listen to, like we definitely are always open to talk about this mm-hmm. and you know, one on one. But there are places for healing. Um, you don't need to be, you know, ashamed of this struggle. Um, 
yeah, there is a way to truth, to light, to healing. And uh, yeah, there are resources. So yeah, Rachel, just want to thank you for, for being one of those resources and for coming on. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Praise God.